my whole thing is that, you know, reading and story time is always, or it, we, our goal is to make it magical, right? right? But when you pick books with intention and, you know, you're just, you're, you're more thoughtful in your choices, you can make it magical, but you can also make it really meaningful too. I've been thinking a lot about social-emotional learning and what schools and teachers can do to build emotional skills and understanding, especially since many kids don't have the words to express what they feel or understand what they're going through. Today's guest is someone who combines her love of reading and knowledge of books with her desire to support people dealing with everyday challenges, crisis, and even trauma. She shares these resources that kids and their parents have a place to begin important and sometimes very difficult conversations. All right. My name is Lauren Berkison. I am a former attorney, a mom of two boys, a current elementary school librarian, and the blogger behind Happily Ever Elephants. So I met you at the Etic Teacher um, Summit in Boston last year. You were in my class on ARVR, but found out that you were very, like, to say that you're very passionate about children's book is ridiculous. Like that you have an intense passion for children's literature. So um, what led you to become so passionate about children's literature and make it basically your career? Um, It's... It's a long journey, but I've always been a reader ever since I was a child. Um, some of my happiest memories would were from Friday nights in elementary school. I would just load up. I would get a stack of books and my parents joked that I would read them on the way home. And then I would get home and I would say, oh, but I have nothing else to read. And they were like, what do you mean you have nothing else to read? We just got you so many books. So then they tricked me and started keeping them in the trunk on the way home. But um, I just have always been a reader. I've always found comfort in books and have sought out books that help me kind of explore what I'm feeling, um, books that would have helped me navigate, you know, my, my experiences at the time. And it's just always been a way for me to kind of ground myself and, and just to enjoy, you know, to kind of escape for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, so multi-purposed, I guess. And now with two young kids, um, we read a ton and um, our house is full of books and I want them to find the same magic in, in literature as I have. So one of the things that I like about um, your Instagram feed is that you you really talk about like topics and issues that are like a problem that people face or a crisis. And, uh, you know, the first time I looked at your Instagram account, I thought back to how often uh, as a kid, if I was having troubles and problems, the library was a place that I went and I would hang out. Like in the summer, I would disappear and go to the library. And if there was something that I needed to know about that I didn't feel I had access to, that was a solution for me. Even today, um, regularly when I'm traveling, if I'm feeling like disconnected from people, I'll just find a bookstore and then I always feel connected. Yeah. So I feel like this ability to connect and this ability to solve problems and, and like this refuge. And I feel like this sense of refuge in books within the topics that you talk about, you know, so tell us about how your work with Happily Ever Relevance got started and how it's evolved. It's, it's kind of twofold. So the simple answer is how did it get started? I love books. I was always the go-to person that people would come to for book recommendations when I was a child, when I was a teenager, as an adult, and then when everyone started having kids. So that's the short answer. Um, But in terms of a longer answer, it evolved actually from a lot of um, personal, I guess you could say trauma, um, if I'm going to be particularly honest. Um, I have two boys and my youngest son, who is now four, 
um, suffered from a stroke when he was 10 days old. So, um, that was obviously a life-changing experience. We didn't know, um, you know, we didn't know how he was going to develop. Luckily, he is doing amazing now. You would never know um, that he had any challenges, but he has challenges every day. And um, so for the first year of his life, he was in therapies all the time, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. And I was constantly pushing him and pushing him and pushing him because, you know, we want him to be the best that he could possibly be. And um, at that point, I was a lawyer and I was working for a judge and I liked my job, but it wasn't what I was passionate about. And I felt all of a sudden um, like a hypocrite. And it was really interesting because as I was pushing my son to be the best he could be and to not give up and to fight through challenges, I realized that I was doing something that I didn't love. I wasn't being the best version of myself because I wasn't passionate about my job. And I knew that I had these dreams and, and this other passion for writing and children's literature. And, um, I was just scared to kind of go after my dream. So he really inspired me and his challenges inspired me to try to be the best version of myself. And once I started writing again and blogging again, it really just kind of took on a life of its own. It led me to my job, my current job as a librarian, um, it led me to move from having an Instagram account to a blog. Um, and it's, it's kind of taken on a life of its own and I feel so grateful every day, but it was really my, my young son and his stroke that propelled me to get where I am now. And sometimes I, you know, I, I hear this again and again where people, you know, one, I think some of the people who are doing some of the best work do it because it's personal. You know, I know that like Greg and I, with the topics that we pick for this uh, podcast, it, it's a personal to us. It's always a connection that's meaningful to us. So I think sometimes those things just clarify for us what's really important and help us cut away all of the, the noise from our time, you know? And then when you have that insight um, and you can cut away a lot of extra and get that focus, it's always a kind of an amazing thing. Yes, for sure. So, so you create lots of lists of books, right? Like, so beyond just an Instagram account or a blog, you mm-hmm. create lists and compilation. And a lot of them are for like difficult situations for parents and kids. Talk about some of the ones that are most meaningful to you, or, or maybe t- give us some stories about like how those things have helped people or, or the experiences you've had since you started doing this maybe. Well, just uh, as an example, um, last week I published a post on picture books about divorce Um, I happened to get divorced a couple of years ago. And as you would imagine, when um, my ex-husband and I separated, I turned to books because I wanted to be able to help talk about our situation with my kids. And I was pretty dismayed to find that there wasn't a lot out there, or at least there wasn't a lot out there that wasn't extremely didactic and that I felt was, you know, real quality. Um, So I found a couple books that we liked. And then I also found some books on grief and sadness and handling separation and, um, also books on just family diversity, um, showing that there's no one right way to be a family. And, um, so I put this list together and I'm, I'm, I, you know, I hope that these books help others as much as they've helped us because I know that, that they were a critical part of, um, our healing and coping. Um, so that was a very personal one, but then there's also, um, lists that I think can help 
parents through any kind of a difficult situation. Um, I just posted um, a list about uh, books for kids with anxiety because a lot of people send me messages and say, my child is terrified of the dark or my child is, you know, really scared to get in the pool or my child is really scared of dogs. So I put a bunch of books in one, um, on one list and I categorize them by, you know, fear of the water, fear of night, fear of monsters, fear of going to bed, fear of starting school in the hopes that that would be a good resource. Um, I also, um, uh, tolerance and diversity is extremely important to me. So, um, I have books featuring multicultural, um, topics or just books featuring characters of color that are just about kids in everyday situations, but that, uh, show kids with, um, all sorts of family backgrounds. Um, I have an LGBT post that was extremely important to me because these books really help kids feel less alone and help them navigate um, what can be very challenging circumstances, especially if they don't have um, the support at home or at school. Um, and then I also just do fun things. So um, my nieces, one of my nieces loves unicorns. So I put together a list. I didn't even know there was a national unicorn day, but there was lo and behold. So uh, <laughs> I put together a list of unicorn books and I really try to think about topics that will help parents navigate challenges that they might have in their homes or educators and problems that they might have in their schools, um, as well as some things that are just fun. Um, one of my most popular posts is, is probably one on growth mindset books for kids. That's a huge topic in education right now. And um, it's a list of probably 25 books that I absolutely love that show kids the value of, of really adopting the mindset, you know, not saying I can't, but I can't yet. Um, and we love those in our house. So it, it really runs the gamut. It kind of, you know, what's, what's hot at the moment, um, what's happening in our community, in our country, in our world, and then also just fun topics that my kids will relate to. That was a long answer. <laughs> yeah, but if it's a good answer, it's a good answer, right? So, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, it's hard to navigate those things. So I, I, when I see the posts, when I see the lists come out, um, I always go and take a look at what kind of things are there. Because for me, I think two ways. One, there are a lot of parents in this world who are supporting their kids who are out there providing these books to help them. But I also think that there are a lot of kids out there who are looking for this help and for whatever reason, they, they don't have a person to support or help them. And I think it's really important for them to see a pathway to that. You know, yeah. they're not going to go to the psychology and self-help section and read about different things. But I think that there's a lot of comfort and support in those books and whatever small understanding you can provide a kid is really important. So, you know, um, when I, when I think about, and, and the other thing is this, like if you're a kid and you find a list on something that you super are passionate, like. I love that there's a national unicorn day and a hundred percent when I'm done here, I'm going to find out what day that is <laughs> tweets in the future to come. That's going to happen. So, but you know, um, I feel like as educators, we're always trying to think ahead to what supports people need. And in right. the classroom, one of the things I always thought about is where can you pre-position support for people? So when they find themselves in a difficult time, a difficult place in your classroom, you can have those supports in place already, right? Because it's one thing to be like, I need help. It's another thing to be like, wait, I know where I can find help. I really love that a lot of those lists are like pre-positioned support for any number of things that people can find. And if you, 
you know, I, I can think of many, many times for me, you know, it's a silly story, but when I was a little kid, one of the first experiences I ever had with death was a dog that was like my dog and the dog had had puppies. And one day I, the dog was fine. At, when I went to bed, I woke up in the morning. She didn't seem good. I told my mom, um, we came home after school was over and she was just in a horrible place, took her to the doctor and she died like within a matter of 24 hours. Right. And, and I was a fourth grade kid. And I remember having that experience going to school and not knowing like, can I talk to people about this? And just crying in a corner the entire day, crying at recess uh, about this. And my parents' response to that was to actually take me to like an old Walden books and say, let's go find a book about, and I found a book. I swore I was going to be a veterinarian that long ago faded away, but I, I know exactly where that book is in this world right now, because at the time it was such a lifeline to me to understand like, Oh, these things happen. And there are people who just care for right. people. It, it just framed it. And there's not a single time that I've had with my kids, the understanding of uh, like a situation where there was a death or something that I had to explain where I don't go back to exactly that. Like I can provide you with understanding part of it is being here or part of it is giving you some way that you can act upon these feelings. Right. So long answers aside, you provide lists. That's all just pre-positioned support for people in need who may or may not have people to provide it for them. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely important because, you know, I also feel that yes, the, the support is huge, but also um, we, our goal is to make it magical. Right. Right. But when you pick books with intention and you know, you're just, you're, you're more thoughtful in your choices, you can make it magical, but you can also make it really meaningful too. So, you know, if your child is having a challenge, you can pick a great book that's fun, but it might feature a character who's going through something similar um, as your kid and, and, and books give you kind of an automatic in because when you read, um, and, and you, you talk about the characters and the plots and the book with your children, it feels more organic than just saying, so, you know, Johnny, what happened at school today with that kid? Was he nicer? Was he not? You know, it's, it, it just feels more authentic to me. And I think that it's books are just the most essential tools for really communicating with your kids. You know, a big part of my job is traveling around the country helping schools with technology and pedagogy and just other things like that. And a, it's funny to me that a, a big a part of the time I go to schools and there's other experts who are there. Mm-hmm. And a part of why we come in and do the work that we do is because they need somebody from the outside so that people will listen with open ears, right? Yeah. We we start to filter and bubble and, and you know, like we, we kind of drown out noises that are around us that we're used to. And it's that concept, again, you can't be a prophet in your own land. And sometimes we're, as parents, a conveyance for the ideas of other people. Exactly. Right. They're sometimes just more receptive when it's not just, you know, mom, leave me alone. If it's someone else, it, it sometimes carries more weight. Exactly right. And I think that that's true, especially when I see parents who are dealing with problems between them and their kids. Like we have this issue between us. And so like, that can be hard. Here's mm-hmm. this way that you can look at what's going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, any number of crises that people face, like you said, with divorce or, or even, you know, I, it's funny, you talk about your son having a stroke. I have a nephew who had the same situation. He was born and within 48 hours had a stroke and had similar situations. He's had to learn how to swallow again because he spent right. the first, however many months of his life with a tube in his throat. So all of those challenges, all of those issues that happen and 
And I know for a fact that literature is one of the ways that they've said, hey, yes, you have this challenge, but guess what? It's okay. We all have these challenges. We just hide them. Right. right? Exactly. Like everyone is going to face some kind of a battle and some kind of a challenge. It's just, you know, there are different battles and some are uh, heavier than others, but um, right. we all have our things. And, you know, what, the other part, aside from the fact that I like your list, I, I think that teachers are on the front lines of crisis, right? As a, a social studies teacher, I was constantly trying to find resources for my students about addressing social needs. Like when uh, the issue of school shootings and mm-hmm. lockdowns rose became an issue, my, my kids were really stressed out in their classes about, are we piling things against the door now? Are we, what level of security are we going to have? And rather than just be like, assuring and saying, I don't know, we just started talking about like, what could you read? What could you have? Mm-hmm. What could you look at to kind of, to solve that problem and, and bridge that issue? So and um, that's, actually, that's actually really interesting that you brought up um, those heavy topics, because when you think about talking with, about those topics, often you're talking with older kids, right? Yeah, that's right. not something that I would talk about with my kindergartner, first grader, but a child who's in sixth, seventh, ninth grade, um, you know, it sounds really silly, but there are some amazing picture books that are really more geared towards older children. And I think that so often parents and even some educators shy away from a picture book because they just think that they're for young kids. But, you know, I have a couple books on my nightstand, picture books, that are like Bibles to me because they carry so much weight. And I know that my kids don't think of them in the same way. They, they don't resonate in the same way. But I think it's important to remember that um, obviously you can give a high schooler or a middle school a great chapter book to address right. certain topics. But when it comes to, you know, if you want to have a conversation with your kids or you want to have a, a classroom discussion, a picture book really is such a, a fabulous tool for right. older children that I think is so often overlooked. And I'm actually, right. actually a post that I want to do um, down the road for picture books that I think are even really more geared towards older kids than younger ones. When I first delved into like um, full inclusion teaching, I, would, I taught in full inclusion setting with a special ed uh, partner mm-hmm. and he realized quickly that like you can't make people who are struggling with reading read you know, you can't force people with uh, a hurdle or a difficulty to overcome to spend all of their time in that difficulty. A dyslexic kid is going to always struggle. There've got to be other means. And we realized quickly that graphic novels mm-hmm. were huge. Like it was unbelievable how much I could achieve if I could find a graphic novel on a topic. I had a class, we, we taught about 9-11 and what happened by using the graphic novel of the 9-11 report, which is one of the best graphic novels I've ever seen. It's so complex and it's simplified by these visual pictures. So I think, like you said, like we, teachers are on the front line. And as a resource, if you as a teacher can say, here's this resource to lists and concepts and topics that I know for a fact those teachers are going to face, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm excited about, this episode will be episode one of our second season of the So We've Been Thinking podcast. So I'm hoping that as teachers are hearing this, that they can take a second, look at your page on Happily Ever Elephants and... Mm-hmm and see what resources there are so that, yeah, October, you're in the thick of things and you know that these resources are there for you. And also I find sometimes we as teachers don't want to be, but we often find ourselves in a situation with parents where they're asking for our guidance, like, please tell me what I should do in these situations. And I think that's a part of our job that 
is oftentimes ignored. Yes, yes. And just to go back to what you said about graphic novels, it makes me so happy that you recognize how valuable they are in the classroom. Um, I feel that so often they are knocked and overlooked, especially by parents, um, because parents don't necessarily think of them as real books, um, which... I'm telling you now, please stop that for that. Stop that thinking because graphic novels are amazing. Um, they are becoming, as you said, much more complex. Um, they're they're really it's 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 a novel just in a different format, and they're really great, especially for hooking uh, reluctant readers and kids who kind of shy away from the you know formal novel format. And they're wonderful, and you know even for for new readers. Um, some kids that are a little more intimidated of an easy chapter book, if you give them a graphic novel, you know, a, a graphic novel that's really an early reader, it's amazing um, how these kids really begin to build their fluency and and just really begin to find magic in stories that they wouldn't otherwise find um, from just jumping right from picture books to chapter books or, you know, stuff of that nature. So we love graphic novels. I can't rave about them enough. I'm super glad to hear that. I actually never really thought to go check the website for any lists of graphic novels and stuff like that. But now I feel like maybe I should go do that. I actually don't have a list. I think I wrote one for mommy shorts, um, like a year ago. So I don't have one on my site yet, but, um, it is certainly coming. And, you know, for a while there, there weren't, um, there, there were the heavy hitters, you know, like the authors that everyone knows. Um, but there weren't, um, a ton of books that I really, that I personally loved and connected with, but now I feel that there's so many. So I, I will definitely do a list in the coming months. I didn't need to give you a homework assignment by doing that. (laughs) You know, I like when people give me um, ideas and tell me what they like, because that's when I know that I'm reaching my audience. So it's always helpful to hear feedback and to, to get requests. Yeah. I think it's cool to, to meet people's needs, but it's really cool when they say, here's a need that I haven't had met, but I know you can help me. Right. Okay. So one of the other things we always talk about on this podcast, we like to talk about like the the future world of work and communication. Greg and I both feel really strongly that literacy is about how we communicate Mm -hmm. and that today, if you don't understand social media, it's kind of hard to say that you don't understand how to communicate with people. Mm -hmm. Right. So we believe that, that we have to be rethinking the idea of like, social media literacy as a necessary skill. And and a lot of our past guests have talked about how it's essential to the work that they do and it's essential to um, like the careers that they've had, right? Mm -hmm. Like the future world of work involves this understanding. My my, my children are old enough now that my wife is re-entering the workforce and she's been looking for a job and every single job spends a huge amount of time talking about social media. So could you talk to us a little bit about like the role that social media plays in the work that you do and connecting with your audience? So, you know, it's interesting that you say that. So for so long, when I started, um, I started Happily Ever Elephants on Instagram. Um, Actually, that would, that's not quite accurate. I started with a small Facebook group that was just some friends. Right. uh, you know, like a little private group that was really just to help give my friends recommendations. I felt like I was sending the same emails over and over. So I was like, you know what? I'm throwing you all in one group and I'm just going to start yeah. it here. And that uh, within probably like a week or two had about 500 people because everyone kept adding everyone. And then someone told me, you know, there's people that do um, these quote unquote bookstagram accounts on Instagram. 
So I started it and, you know, it's, it's really kind of taken on a mind of its own. Yeah. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of learning and, um, networking and engaging with other people. And the way I, I kind of see it now is that, um, there's really two, for me, there's two main focuses. So you have to focus on SEO and search engine optimization for your blog. Um, but then the social media is also, you know, is a huge aspect of it. And the reason that they really differ for me is that, you know, if I share, for instance, just to go with my last list, picture books about divorce, not all of my 37,000 followers are going to be interested in that list at all. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a post like that might not really get a ton of engagement on social media, but that's the kind of post that I want on my website because if someone's going through a separation or a divorce and they have young kids, you better believe that's one of the first things they're going to Google. So, you know, it's, it's really been interesting to me navigating, um, you know, the different, the, the blog, which I kind of view as a separate entity from the social media and granted social media feeds into the blog because it directs traffic to the blog, but they really, they really each have their own strategic paths, I guess you could say. Um, I think it's really true. I I think it's, it can't be overstated that like each of the social media platforms has a very, very different like vibe and feel and, and system to work. I was very active early on edu Twitter and I feel like edu Instagram is a very different place with very different customs and norms, yeah. a totally different way of connecting with people. Yes. And I mean, even for me, you know, when I'm on Twitter, Twitter is my place where I really kind of see what's out there in the children's literature world. So Twitter, I find that I'm engaging more so with publishers and agents and authors and illustrators and and industry people. Whereas on Instagram, it's much more parent and educator driven. Not not even what my following is mostly on Instagram is mostly parents, I think. Right, um, right. Most women. Um so, you know, they really all have their own unique, um, their own unique, not rules, but they're, they're just their own unique, you know, area. Right. But, but I also think that that's, that's part of it. Like, if you want to find your audience, as kids in a, like a civics class or as a social studies teacher, um, we want them to connect with an audience where their, their issue, their concerns, their needs is going to find a place to take root. Mm-hmm. But I think in social media, sometimes you know, there are some really complex ways for you to reach out to that audience. It's not so simple as like hashtagging it necessarily on a Twitter account, especially like a blog post. Right. If the search engine isn't bringing stuff to you. Right. Right. Like you're kind of missing out on this audience who's there. There's someone out there looking for you. How do you make sure that they find you? Exactly. Super challenging. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, we've talked a lot about um, connecting with your audience and what books are at the end of every one of our episodes, we like to just ask some general questions about people. Okay. okay. Absolutely. So, um, one of my favorite things to ask is like, what's your favorite childhood memory? Gosh, my favorite childhood memory. I would have to say that probably going to the bookstore. Um, and I know it sounds silly, but when I was Probably in third grade, fourth grade, I was totally and completely obsessed with the Babysitter's Club. And my mom worked um, in a museum bookstore and a a local museum at the University of Miami. And she would get um, the catalogs of the books that were coming out. And so I always would read them every month. And I knew like which Babysitter's Club book was going to come out and what day it was going to come out. 
And um, sure enough, when, when, when it would come out, my parents would drive me to the bookstore and I would be first in line and I would get the book. And I mean, I just remember it so fondly and so vividly because that was just my thing. All right. Next one. What's your most irrational fear? Wow. Irrational fear. Well, this is actually really funny because I'm a librarian, but I hate germs. Um, so I will not bring our library books into my bed. (laughs) Very, very comical. Um, I'm like very weird about my bed. So I do not let anyone get into my bed after the school day or after the camp. Like, so my kids come home, they know, like, do not get near my bed. Um, if you're dirty, um, but yeah, I really, the library books in bed kill me. I, I can't, it, ugh, it just gives me like the heebie-jeebies. I can't do it. So it's That's not really a fear, but it's just like an irrational way of thinking. Okay. As a teacher who has handed out textbooks that have been 10 to 15 years old and knows that kids use them at the table and often find like pizza stains in them or yeah. others that you like, I don't know how irrational that necessarily is. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's just funny being that, right. you know, I really rarely used to check out books from the library because I'm such a germphobe that it just kind of freaked me out. And now I'm like working in them, which probably explains why I've gotten like six sinus infections in the last <laughs> year. But Well, I've never seen a library that had a disinfection like protocol for their books. I know. So there's I that. Know. It would okay. be it would be it's a cool invention. Just think, we just talked about all this reading, and look at what, the damage we just did to like public libraries right I now. Know. <laughs> I love libraries. I do. Just bring no. hand sanitizer. Uh, sorry, everyone. <laughs> okay, so then last one. What is a big fad that you absolutely regret embracing in your lifetime? Ooh, a big fad. Maybe cavariches. Okay, that's bad enough. That's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked them. I had a black pair and I thought that they were super cool. Um, but yeah, that was a bad one. For those of you who don't know, Cavaricis are like pants with like 8 billion pleats. <laughs> right? Your bottom looked like you're wearing like, like kind of like a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> they were awesome in the 80s. And okay. it wasn't just like a normal pair of pants or shorts with pleats. These were like, like what, what do the kids say? Like pleats on fleek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. But I think anybody who doesn't understand what Cavaricis are needs to go Google this and become like culturally aware now. Totally. So thank you so much for giving us your time and for talking a little bit. Um, Where can people connect with you, find your work, or see the kind of things that you've posted? Um, Well, my blog is www.happilyeverelephants.com, which I probably should even tell you, Happily Ever Elephants, uh, the name came about because my son, my oldest, when he would read stories with me, he somehow got confused. And instead of saying happily ever after, he would say, and they lived happily ever elephants. (laughs) And that kind of stuck. And that's where the name came from. So as I'm saying it, some people are like, what? Anyway, the blog is at happilyeverelephants.com. Um, I am on Instagram at happily.ever.elephants and I'm on Twitter at capital H, capital E, uh, elephants. The So We've Been Thinking podcast is sponsored by EdTech Teacher Innovation and EDU Events. Fresh off the success of our Chicago event in October, EdTech Teacher is offering three more events. Join us this November in Boston, in California in January, or join us in Montreal this March. For more information, go to edtechteacher.org events. 